My name is uh, Kenny. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I've not had a chance to meet you, I really am glad that you'd give us a little bit of your time this morning. And uh, we're in a series called It's Complicated. And today I want to talk to you about marriage. And um, if you're single, this is a great, great message for you to kind of give you a vision of hopefully what kind of marriage you want one day. And um, uh, my wife and I in uh, next week will celebrate 24 years of marriage, by the way. And uh, yes. <laughs> All credit goes to her, trust me. Um, we both, uh, we grew up in Satsuma, Alabama. We actually grew up one mile apart from each other in Alabama. And the first time I saw her was in middle school. So I was in eighth grade. She was coming in as a sixth grader. And all the guys were talking about this girl, Valerie. You gotta see Valerie. Have y'all seen Valerie? You gotta see Valerie. You gotta see Valerie. And I saw her and I thought, that's way too much makeup for me, right? <laughs> So I finished eighth grade and I go on to high school. So now I'm in 11th grade. She's coming in as a ninth grader and she grew into her makeup because I was like, I want to date that. And so that's when we actually met and really started dating. Now, here's what's crazy though. We have a picture. I think our mom actually has it because I couldn't find it. Has a picture where we were at a birthday party of a mutual friend and she was four years old and I was six years old in the same picture sitting next to each other. That's crazy to me. And then last year, Ancestry.com, we find out we're cousins. So you, <laughs> when you talk about complicated, <laughs> it is complicated for us. So we basically grow up in the same city, our families, stable homes. Um, we dated for six years. We were engaged for one year. I'm thinking in my mind, how hard is this marriage thing? I mean, this is not gonna be difficult at all. Um, we love the same things. We love the same music. We love the same beach. We, we both love Taco Bell. This is gonna be a breeze for us, right? And then we get married and about two years in, you discover some things. And you discover, number one, love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. And your eyes are open to a lot of things you did not know even existed about one another. And see, because when you're dating, if you're dating or you're engaged right now, they are fooling you. I'm just telling you. Because <laughs> the best you are ever going to be is when you're dating. That's the best. You're, because when you're dating, here's what you think. You really do think this. That, that, that they're always going to look good, they're always going to smell good, and they're never going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Those are the three things you think. And then you get married and you discover they don't always look good, they don't always smell good, and they spend their life in the bathroom. This is how it works when you're married. And so for me to sit down and write some things about why marriage is difficult, I had to shorten the list because marriage is very complicated. And here's the first thing I wrote down. Marriage is complicated because we're so different. We're different in every possible way. Even though we grew up in the same town, our families, very, very similar families, grew up in the same church. Uh, you know, in middle school, she went to one and I went to another, but the churches were pretty much the same. Then we started going to the same church. We had a lot going for us with the same, which in my mind, I was thinking, this is going to be so cool because I'm marrying somebody just like me. Not true. We think differently. As a matter of fact, my mind works like a waffle. There are squares for everything in my life. And that's how I think, right? There, and there's a square on my waffle brain that is a nothing square. 
So when she asks what you're thinking about, and I go, nothing. Like, that's legit. I'm in the nothing square in my waffle. Her mind is more like spaghetti. Everything is tangled in emotions and feelings, and she can have 10 conversations at one time, and I go, I don't even know how you do that. We move into our marriage and figure it out pretty quickly. We handle um, conflict differently. Now, in 24 years of marriage, we have never had a fight. Not one fight. We've had intense fellowship several times. Um, <laughs> it's all a matter of perspective, which is really important. Um, so in our first intense fellowships that we would have, here's how I would handle it. I would do like I saw my dad. I would put on my tennis shoes if I didn't have any on and I'd just leave. I'd go walk and I'd walk and I'm going from square to square to square to square to square to square. And I'm just thinking and I'm thinking and I'm thinking and I'm thinking. And then I'd come home and I wouldn't talk about it. And then I'd go to bed. She handles it completely different. She waits until I'm asleep. I am not joking you on this deal right here. She waits until I'm asleep in a coma, and at 2 a.m., she starts vacuuming the bedroom. That is no joke. It happened last month. I mean, this is like, this is crazy. So I'm waking up out of a coma, and, you know, you start seeing things, man. I'm like seeing Elvis in a green trucker's hat in my bedroom. I'm going, what is going on? So we, we are just different in every possible way. I will tell you this, though. I'll never forget, we were actually in seminary two years in. I call it World War III that we were having in our marriage. And I had done something and treated her in such a way that made her cry. And I remember her looking at me crying in our 326-square-foot apartment. It was like the bed, the sink, and the fridge. It was just all right here. And her looking at me, and here's what she said. When will you start celebrating our differences and not condemning them? Instead of seeing as a dynamic duo, I was seeing her as my enemy on so many different levels. So marriage is complicated because we're so different. And according to how you view your differences can create more complications or you can see that person as a true gift from God that they are different than you. It's according to your perspective. But I also wrote this down, that marriage is complicated because we're all so di Disney-fied in our culture. We really do think that when I meet my soulmate and when I meet the perfect one, that we are going to find a cottage in the woods with a white picket fence, have 2.3 kids and drive a Prius, and it is gonna be the most romantic, amazing relationship, and we will live happily ever after. This is the culture we live in, because we're so Disney-fied. I wanna tell you the truth about marriage. Marriage that works actually take work. That's the marriage. If you want your marriage to work, you just need to know on the front end, it takes work, a lot of work. Here's why, because when you're dating, you love what drives you crazy. Then when you're married, it still drives you crazy, but in a different way. So it takes work. And it's the whole grass is greener syndrome, right? There are marriages in this room that you have in your mind another marriage and you go, golly, if I had that kind of marriage or if we were more like them, let me tell you something. If you see a marriage that that's what you think, that marriage has worked, literally worked. The grass isn't greener. They've just watered it more. They de-weed it every single week. <laughs> they, if anybody, if any dog poops on their lawn, they're cleaning it up immediately. 
They make sure it gets sun, it gets water. Marriage takes work. That's why the grass is greener. All the singles in the room are thinking they want to be married. All the married in the room, they want to be single again. I mean, this is how it works in our culture because we've been Disney-fied now. Last month, I saw a video of this gentleman who is going to propose to his girlfriend. He spent six months hired animation artist to take her favorite movie of all time, Sleeping Beauty, and he paid artists for six months to, in this one specific scene in the movie, to put their faces on the characters. His face is on the prince, hers is on Sleeping Beauty, and it, it you wanna see it? Yeah. Wow, uh, you get more excited on Disney. See, we're Disney-fied, aren't we? <laughs> Here's how it went down, watch this. sweetheart so I just want to take my time savor this moment oh my god oh my god oh my god hey, excuse me do you mind this is kind of a kind of a big moment oh my god these poor people they're all they're all in on it oh my god I don't even know what I, to say. I, I, I hope you do, but yeah. I, I love you with my whole heart, including oh all God. of its ventricles, atriums, valves. <laughs> She's a cardiologist. <laughs> Stiffy David. MD. <laughs> Will you live happily ever after with me? Yes. the ladies in the room <laughs> the men want to go throw up now I, I, I guarantee you every man saw this moment every man in the room saw this when she looked away and he said hey, hey. we all know what that meant I paid a lot of money for this you, wh 
<laughs> right? I mean, isn't that how we think? We're just different. And we're so Disney-fied in our culture. But have you ever considered, have you ever, since the lady needs to know this, she needs to know this about that proposal. There's never been a Disney part two of any princess movie. You ever thought about that? Now, some have been tried to knock offs and things like that, but like nobody knows about part two. You want to know why? It tells the rest of a marriage story, which means it gets rough. Take Cinderella, Cinderella, right? The princess of all princes. Have you ever thought about how much emotional baggage she's bringing into that relationship? Think about it, right? She has an absentee dad. She has a psycho stepmom. Her sisters are whacked out of their mind. She has spent most of her life in an attic, and she talks to animals. This is a problem. <laughs> Take any of the princes, right? I mean, listen, they've never had to work a day in their life. Everything has been given to them. They are the heartthrob of every single lady. Everything has gone perfect for them. That, can you imagine the ego that these guys are bringing into the marriage? right? That's why every other Disney part two princess movie would include something like this for the Disney princesses of their small group. This is what their small group looked like. <laughs> it's basically a rehab group. Why? Marriage is complicated. In part two, they would all figure it out. And they're like, oh, my husband, he's just all about himself. She's like, tell me, give me another one. I mean, this is, this is marriage. It's complicated. But I want to encourage you with something. If you're like, dude, that's my marriage right there. I want to encourage you with something. You have a 100% chance of having a great marriage. 100% chance. You have a 100% I'm not saying a perfect marriage. I'm not saying a marriage that has problems. I'm saying you have a 100% chance of having a great marriage together because God has shown you exactly how to have it. And, and that's what I wanna talk about for just a little bit because marriage not only takes a lot of work, a great marriage not only takes a lot of work, but a great marriage, a marriage that actually works, goes along the, the, the long haul, is actually it takes agape. Now agape is a beautiful word. It is a word that honestly, we don't have a word in our English language to attach to it, to match it in Greek. Agape comes from the Greek. The New Testament was actually written in Greek. They have, uh, we have about a third of our vocabulary. They have five different words for love in Greek. So when they were describing a certain kind of love, they could pick out which word that they wanted to choose so you would understand the context. We don't, we have one, love. That's why we use the same word for, I love pizza, I love the Texans, I love my wife. That's a problem. And here's why that's a problem. Because in our culture, we don't understand, number one, God's love for us. And we don't understand how he wants us to love one another. Why? We only have one word, love. They have five. I won't give you all of them, but one of them you've actually heard before and you may not even know it. One word in Greek is phileo. This is the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly. That came from Greek. Phileo, Philadelphia. It's a brotherly kind of family love. We're in this together. I got your back. You got my, that's phileo. Another word that you have heard, but you didn't know this is where it came from. The Greek word is eros. This is where we get our word erotic. So they could use a word of love without saying love, yet you knew the kind of love they were talking about. 
The word agape in Greek is reserved for God, how he loves people, and for God's people. It is separate than the world's kind of love. You cannot combine agape love with the term that we use in our culture, we love one another. It's two totally, radically different kinds of love. So what I wanna talk with you about is that word agape love. Now, I read a lot of different, different definitions from scholars, and I really like Rick Renner's definition. I thought this was the best one, the easiest to understand, yet really gives the power of this kind of love. Here's what Rick, uh, Rick Renner says. Agape love is a divine love that gives and gives and gives even if it's never responded to, thanked or acknowledged. Agape is a love that isn't based on response, but on a decision to keep on loving, regardless of a recipient's response or lack of response. This is how God loves you. Whether you ever respond to him or not, his love is not gonna change for you. Whether you ever give to him or not, his love is not gonna change. It's not based on emotion or a need for you to respond back to me. This is how God loves you. This is why Jesus looked at his followers and he said, hey, listen, if you're gonna follow me, you need to un understand something of how I want you to love people. This is why he told them one day sitting around a campfire, he goes, a new command I'm giving you. I'm gonna give you something brand new. I know how the world has always told you to love, I'm flipping that over. I'm gonna give you a new way to love. And here's what he said. This is the word that he used. I'm giving you a new command. Here it is. Love each other. Which of the five did he choose to describe love? Agape. He said, I want you to love one another even if that individual never gives you anything in return. No emotion. No emotion. Emotion can be involved, but it's not going to dictate how you love one another. Now, this is so fascinating to me, and most women may not even know this. Did you know that in the Bible, there is not one verse that tells you to love your husband? You're like, well, good. I don't love him anyway. I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> right? I mean, right? Isn't that how you feel? Right? Not one. There's not one verse that tells you to love your husband. Not one. It says, respect your husband. Men, it does say to you, love your wife. Several times, because we need the repetition for it. <laughs> but it just shows, again, how we're so different of how we give and receive love. But here, Jesus actually puts the umbrella over all of our marriages by saying, I want you to agape one another. Now, here's what's interesting about when he says love one another, he really is letting us know this is not based on how you feel in the moment. It's easy to love when things are great and when they're actually meeting your needs. But he goes a step further. I want you to love them when they're not meeting your needs. It's easy to love when they're giving to you and respecting you. He says this, I want you to love them when they're not respecting you and not giving anything to you. In our culture, we love when it's good and we don't love when it's bad. We love when it's good, we don't love when it's bad. Watch, if this is how you love in your marriage, you are a very inconsistent lover. 
Agape love is in, it's called a through line. There is a through line through the ups and downs of life that basically says, I love you and will never stop loving you, period, no matter what, how I feel about you. That is agape love. This is how Jesus actually loves you. Again, we base it on feelings in our culture. We're Disney-fied. This is why we use phrases like this. I, I just fell in love with him. <laughs> right? Like you fell into a hole. <laughs> I, just, I, just don't, I just don't love her anymore. I just fell out of love with her. Like you fell out of a high chair. I mean, this is how we describe our feelings of love. And Jesus is saying this. I don't want you to equate love that way anymore. Anymore. If you're going to be my follower... I want you to love, and here comes the kicker of the very next thing he said, because that whole audience could have looked at him and go, well, what does that look like? It's so new. It is new. We, we've never seen this before. How, what does that look like? And that's why he added what he added in the very next verse. Here's what Jesus said, as I have loved you. So I want you to love one another. The example, I'm right here. The way I love you that's the example. You're right. You've never seen this before in culture. So I'm going to lead the way as I have loved you. How did he love you? He put your needs before his own, even though you did nothing for him. He put you first in what you needed and served you without you ever serving him. He goes, this is how I have loved you. And I'm wanting you to replicate that in your marriage. The greatest marriage on the planet are two servants in love. That's the greatest marriage on the planet. The worst, most miserable marriage on the planet is two people who are so selfish that they're waiting on the other one to meet their needs. That's torture. Jesus goes, no, 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 I was your servant. That's what I want you to do with one another. So here's what I wanna do with our time. Now, now let, let me add this though, let me add this. This is important. You can only give what you have, right? You can only give what you have, this makes sense. The problem is if you don't know and you haven't experienced how God loves you, how do you give that away? You are only forced then to love by what you know. And what you know is perhaps what you saw your parents and how they loved or how they didn't love. If only what you know is what culture says, that's the only kind of love you can give away. So, and this is just my opinion by the way, the greatest thing you could ever do for your marriage is you figure out how Jesus loves you. When you take a couple who is falling more in love with Jesus, understanding it, pursuing him, figuring it out, letting him love them, by default, they get closer to one another. You let a couple who chooses not to pursue Jesus, the distance in time does not happen overnight. In time will completely fall away. Why? Because you don't know agape love and you've never experienced agape love, so you just can't give it away. Greatest thing you could ever do for your marriage is to fall in love with Jesus and to understand and allow him to love you. Then you have something to give away that is not like this world. So for, our, for the remaining part of our time, I just want to talk about this agape love. I want to talk to you about how God loves you and then what it might look like in our marriages, okay? So agape love, there were several different things that I wanted to mention. I just kind of chose some umbrella uh, uh, topics for us. Agape love stays. 
Agape love stays. There is a beautiful verse in Hebrews, and it's actually repeated throughout the New Testament in different ways. God says this, though, almost word for word. He goes, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. God will never tell the person sitting in your chair, he will never look at that person in your chair and say these words, I don't love you anymore. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter what you don't do. He has chosen to say never to you, I don't love you anymore. Now, we understand the first part, I will never leave you. So he's never walking out on you, okay? The second part is well, part maybe you knew, but you don't really know what it means. It's so fascinating. He says, I will never leave you, watch this, and I will never forsake you. The word forsake means this, I will never turn my heart from you. I will never allow it to turn one degree from you. My heart will always be focused on you. My heart will always be open to you. I will never say to you, I don't love you anymore. Now, again, it's all throughout the Bible, but the verses in this passage can't capture it any better. Look at what God says about the person sitting in your chair with agape love. From Romans, it says this, can anything ever separate us from Christ agape? That's the word. In Greek, it's agape, love. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who agape us. And he's convinced, I am convinced that nothing, in Greek, the word nothing is fascinating. It means nothing. Here's what it means. Can ever separate us from God's agape. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's agape. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the agape love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God has looked at you and he has said this, I will always love you. I will never close my heart towards you. I will never turn my heart against you. My love is not based on when it's good and when it's bad and when it's good and when it's bad it will stay the same no matter what in your life. Th th this is a life-changing truth for you as an individual and can radically change the relationships that you have in your life because you can find rest when the other person is not good and that you know God loves you no matter what, that you can say, God, I really want to give that kind of love away. So help me, lead me, listen. In our world, we use this word soulmate. A so Everybody wants their soulmate. If you're single, you're looking for your soulmate. <laughs> I want my soulmate. That's like finding a unicorn in Oompa Loompa. Good luck with that. <laughs> not going to happen. Not, you want to know why? Watch. Soulmates are not found. Soulmates are made in the trenches of life. A soulmate is made in the trenches of life where you have, not if you will, but you have experienced financial hard times, career hard times, relational hard times, 
kid, teenagers, hard times. It's coming. And soulmates, watch this, soulmates through the ups and downs of life, they have rolled up their sleeves and they have looked at one another and they said, you could have left me 15 times, but you didn't. I'm in it to win it. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying no matter what. Now watch, watch, watch. If you're married, you said this. Right? And richer and poorer. We just want the richer. In health and in sickness. In good times and bad times. As a Disney-fied culture, we just want the top. And when we don't feel the bottom, we go somewhere else. And God has said, listen, listen, come on, come on, come on. If you're following me, I'm not ever going to leave you. So you give up on your spouse when I give up on you. Let's make that deal. It's just so powerful. It's just a different way of thinking. It's a different kind of love. That is agape love. Agape love stays. This is what God has said about you. The second thing I wrote down about agape love is agape love protects Agape love protects because you better know Satan is working overtime to destroy your marriage. He hates your marriage. He hates your spouse. He hates your kids. He hates your family. As a matter of fact, after this series, we're doing a series right before Easter called This is War. And we're going to talk about how do you fight against temptation, the flesh. How do you fight, how do you fight against those things that want to rip you apart? Because that's exactly what Satan wants to do with your marriage. Agape love is the only kind of love, the only kind of love that puts up a shield and protects your spouse and looks at Satan and says, you can talk about her all you want to, but I'm not listening. This week, only God's timing. I don't know how I even came across this, to be real honest, if it was like in an email promo deal or on the website and it's like a pop-up ad. All I know is right when I saw it, I went, that's it. That's the picture that I'm talking about on Sunday. And I just clicked on it and dropped it in a box for our media team to put it up. This was the picture that I found right here. That is agape love against your enemy. You want to know why? Because the Bible is so, so clear. When we're going through a hard time, he doesn't come in of like a, just raging in on your marriage. He starts right here. Like, have you, have you ever heard the enemy in a downtime of your marriage say something like this to you? You know, they only really care about themselves, not you. You ever heard the enemy whisper this in your mind? You're not going to be happy if you stay with them. How about this one? They will never meet your needs. It only gets worse from here. Wait until they change and then you can love them because they owe you. You ever heard, you ever heard any of these voices? Not like in a way you need to go somewhere where they're doctors, but you, you know what I'm saying, like <laughs> at night. How about this one? Blank is the right person for you. Have you ever thought that you married the wrong person? I have. What a torturous thought he uses on us. You married the wrong person. 
So now it only gives us two options of what we think from him. You married the wrong person, so either you can be tortured the rest of your married life or you can walk out. Those are your two options. This is the game he plays in our mind. How about this one? They're on the crazy train and it's not stopping. Now, that one might actually be true. I, I don't know. I thought, I thought about that and I went, huh, I don't know. That one might actually be a reality for a lot in the room. I'm not sure. But you know what agape love says? Only agape love does this. Only agape love, watch this, looks when it's bad, puts up a shield for their spouse to say, you're not going to talk bad about her even though things are bad right now. I'm going to protect her, I'm going to love him, and I'm not going to believe the lies you're throwing my way because even though it's bad, I have hope, I have perseverance, and I'm trusting that God's going to bring us out on the other side, and when he does, we're going to love each other in a way we never have before. So I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. You can talk all you want to. I'm not listening. I'm staying. I'm protecting our marriage together. Now, if, if you don't think that's in Scripture, by the way, this hit me in the first service as I was talking. That right there, that picture right there is actually in Scripture. Did you know that the Bible says that Satan is the accuser and slanderer before God about you? That's what the Bible says. That, that when Satan approaches God's throne, he slanders you. God, you know what they did? Do you, know, do you, you remember what they did in college? You remember what they did in college, God? He's like, what part? He's like, all four years. You remember, right, God? Spring break, you remember that, God? You saw that, didn't you? God, you remember? He slanders and accuses, and Jesus steps up with a shield to say, you can talk all you want, but we're not listening. Why? We're staying with them, and we're not leaving and we're going to protect them over you. Agape love is so powerful against the enemy. It's the only kind of love that can do that in your marriage. Agape love, that's what it does. Uh, I wrote this down that agape love gives. Agape love gives. Uh, I, I love this, this uh, verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says this, that God demonstrated his own love towards you, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is important. Watch this. It does not say while you were still sinning. He died for you while you were something, not just doing something. It's a big difference. Because he didn't look at you and go, you're never going to change, so I'm not going to love you. He loved you while you were something so that you could become something else. Aren't you glad God didn't wait until you got everything right in your life to love you and die for you? Good, nobody. That's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going solo on this deal. I'm good to go. Because that's an amazing truth. Because if he had a ledger system against us, who in this room could stand before him? Scripture says this, that God does not count your sin against you. That's what the Bible says. Why? That's agape love. God does not look at your life and say, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was a big weekend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. God has thrown the ledger system away. Why? That's what agape love does. There's no ledger system. There's no point system. Watch. I don't know how you grew up or what religion you grew up in, or maybe you didn't at all, but if your belief about God 
if your belief, core belief is he'll love you a little more if, or you don't want to do that because then he will love you a little less. That's the kind of love you bring into your marriage. It's a merit system. It's a point system. That becomes a tit-for-tat kind of marriage. And God says, but I don't love you that way. My love stays constant. I have no point system with you. I threw away the ledger on the cross. And while you were still a sinner, that's what it says, I love you. Now, <laughs> you actually, when it talks about agape love gives, you actually did this girl, uh, when you were dating, by the way. You remember? I mean, you'd reach in your pocket and you'd buy anything. You'd just throw it on the table, go get it. You'd drive if they were away from you, no matter the hours, and you would sit and just listen to her talk and talk and talk. It took a few days, but you hung in there with it. And you would give of yourself and give of your time, right? And now you think, oh my God, dude, if I did that, my brains would fall out of my head if I did, right? It's like, what happened? You just got to be reminded, this is what agape love does. It just gives and gives and never expects anything in return. It's a different kind of love. You don't see that in the world. Uh, the other thing I wrote down about agape love was agape love chooses. Since it's not based on any emotion, I'm not saying emotion is not involved at times. I'm saying agape love in its purest form has no emotion to it. It is a choice that one makes. When you look at scripture, this is what it says in Colossians chapter three. We sang it in a song a moment ago. Colossians chapter three, verse 12. You are the people of God. He agape, that's the word. He agaped you and here it is, chose you for his very own. Person sitting in your chair, do you know what God did? He said, I choose you. I choose you. Yeah, 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 but mm -mm. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. Because I love you. And I want you to be mine forever. And I will never turn my heart away from you. I'm making a choice. I'm choosing you. It's, it's so powerful. And the only illustration I could come up with that we might, we, we might be able to understand this a little more is if you have kids. If you have kids, when they're born, it, it's, it's, they're, they're just a problem. Can we just be honest? Is that all right? Is that all right? The diapers, oh my gosh, for three months you don't sleep. You walk around as a zombie. They have no manners. There are no social skills. You can't take them anywhere. I mean, in a restaurant, they cry when you're trying to have a conversation. They're just problematic in so many ways. And then when they start talking, they have one word. Give. Give me. Give me. I want it. Give me. It's all about, their whole life is about them. And then they hit the teenage world. Good Lord. I mean, it's just like, this is... It's a question, if they're so problematic and so messy and they cost you so much money and the only thing that they really want is more and more and more and more and more, why do you love them? One answer, they're yours. There's no other, they're yours. And you have a love in your heart that is truly agape love for them. It really is. I think we kind of lose that a little bit as they grow up and start making some really dumb decisions. But early on, at least you experience it for a little bit. 
that you love them. That you love them. Listen, you know why God loves you? Through Christ, you're his. You make a mess all the time. How many of your prayers are give me? Hey, God, come through on this. God, I need. God, I want. We're no different. And God would look at you and go, I just want you to know my agape love, I just choose you and all that you come with. And you're mine. And I love it. And I love you. I made you. The Bible says he formed you and fashioned you in your mother's womb. One of, one of a kind. One in billions. And he goes, I love you because you're mine. This is what agape love does. The last thing that I wrote down was this. Agape love actually redeems. This is what agape love, it redeems. I know that's kind of a church word, uh, but just hang with me for just a moment and I'll kind of explain it if I can. In 1 John chapter 4, here's what it says. God showed how much he agaped us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Agape is the word that's used there. This is real love. Not that we loved God because we didn't, but that he loved, this word agape, us. And, here comes the redemption, sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God did not reject us, but God redeemed us. Now, I'll do my best to kind of play this out in a marriage. When you found your one, there was about 90, 80% of them that you saw, and that's what you loved about them. You get married, and then you see another 10% that you didn't know about, or maybe a 20%, right? If my wife was on stage, it'd be a 30%. But what you present is your best. Then you get married, and you discover the rest. That rhyme, that was really good right there. I should have put that on the screen. That would have worked and all. But anyway, and so this is how marriage works. Here, again, Satan will remind you of the 10 and 20% the longer you're married. You know they're never going to change. You know that right there? Other men don't struggle with that. Other ladies don't do that. That's what you're stuck. And so it's like the 10% becomes the 90%. And we forget the 90% of why we loved them in the first place. Isn't that true? Here's what God wants to do with the 10%. And your spouse, he wants to redeem that. That means to rescue that part of them, to change that part of them to look more like his son so that he can maneuver in that 10% of them to take it, not, maybe not ever away because I think there are some things we struggle with. We might always struggle with because of different reasons to show our dependence on him, Satan, the world, so many different reasons, but so that they can at least experience victory for the rest of their life over that. And here's how God wants to do that. He looks at us and he goes, here's how I want to redeem that 10% of them that you hate and I don't like either. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to love them and I'll change them. And we look at God and we're like, how about you change them and I'll love them. It's like, you just love them and I'll change them in the process. This is where it is for marriage on our redemption. Now, the third thing that I wrote down on why marriage is complicated is this. We're different, we're Disneyed, Disneyfied, and we're broken. <laughs> Why is marriage complicated? We're broken. 
We all got issues. We all have faults and we're broken. I love that the bridge celebrates life change stories. We celebrate when someone's broken life finds healing. We love when a broken person finds Jesus. And there's a story I wanted to share with you that I, I love this. I love this couple, it's a great couple, JR and Tiffany. Um, I met them at the Regal campus a couple of years ago. And when we had a baptism party, it was actually gonna be outside at a park. And it was an amazing, an amazing day for us. It was just a portable baptistry that we had and it was just a celebration of, of life because that's what we do. I wanted to read her baptism story to you and I want you to hear about the redemption part, not only of her life, but also her marriage. Listen to this story. I wanna share my story, and this is not an easy thing for me to do. Growing up, my mom would take me to church every chance she got, but she was also a hardcore drug addict that neglected her children and allowed other drug addicts and even worse, sexual predators around her children. As the oldest of three with two younger brothers, I took on the role of mom and protector. The whole concept of God in church was so confusing to me. Why? Because if God is real, why did I go through so much pain? Have you ever asked that question? It's a good question. It's valid. Later, when I was in fourth grade, I moved to Texas with my dad. Church and God were no longer a conversation in my day-to-day -day life. As a matter of fact, life with my dad was actually less than ideal. He was bitter and angry. Then at 17, I moved out on my own and I never looked back. The moment I left, I decided I was done letting other people take my happiness. My childhood made me so guarded from everyone. I could not allow someone or something to control my happiness. To put faith in any human was out of the question. Being vulnerable and just letting go and giving it all to God, a ridiculous concept to me. I do it, I control it, or everyone else will ruin it. So I became a runner. It was simple, if something or someone made me unhappy, I ran. After years of extreme effort, in 2017, I ran from my marriage. We were struggling in just about every way possible and I was tired of fighting. I spent my whole life unhappy and I was not going to be unhappy anymore. I have two sons and they deserve what my life lacked. About five months into the separation, a family member invited us to go to the bridge. Coming on Sundays made me feel emotional. And at that time, the weight of all my emotions was more than I could stand. The guilt of some of my decisions while we were separated were overwhelming. I was so confused. I was unhappy with my husband and I was unhappy without him. I think the reason for that statement is the Bible says that the two actually become one. So when you try to hurt your spouse, you're actually hurting you. And this, this is what she's saying in that one sentence. Literally six days before our divorce was to be finalized, I stopped fighting what God was telling me. 
I got up from my desk around 11 a.m. and I drove home to my husband. I told him I didn't understand why, but something was telling me not to go through the divorce. By the way, he was fighting for us the entire time, even knowing what I had done. The runner in me was screaming. Listen to this. Hear the voices. The runner in me was screaming. You are days away from a fresh start. If you stay, you will have to deal with all the baggage from the past, the hatred from his family, and an unbelievable uphill battle. It's too much to bear. Just run. Just run. But God. But God was telling me to trust him. So I did. I said yes to God. And in that moment, it saved my life, my marriage, and my family. No more running from him, only running to him. I feel like a completely different person. The sorrow, unhappiness, shame, anger, it's all disappearing. Being baptized by my own choice means more to me than you can imagine. This is the start of a brand new life. And I could not be more thankful for a loving, forgiving, and sometimes confusing God. I do not understand why my journey has been what it has, but I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for all of it. I'll never forget that story. I love every baptism story. I love every baptism. I knew their story. We had talked before this moment. I read her story in my office and I just wept and wept and wept. It was just amazing. And I'm not even reading all of it. It's just some of it. And on on that day, it was a portable baptistry, really kind of like a little swimming pool. And people would get in to be baptized. And then as they got out, someone else would get in. And that's how it went. It's a great day. I remember when Tiffany was baptized. I baptized her and she gave me a big hug and I gave her a hug and she got out and then the other person was getting in. When the other person was getting in, you know, I welcomed them. I said, man, this is a great day for you, man. I'm so excited for you. And it just so happened, I looked over this person's shoulder. And what I saw, I grabbed the person. It was actually Natalie Self. She was taking pictures of the day. And I just grabbed her. I said, hey, hey, I want a picture of that. I want a picture of that for me and for them. Get a picture, get a picture. And this is the picture that I saw. Only agape love says I'm staying. This morning, they're sitting in our Regal Theater campus, worshiping together, learning together. Only God does that in a person's life. It's a different kind of love than our culture has ever experienced. The greatest thing you could ever do for your marriage is to fall in love with him. Learn how he loves you. Gosh, how he loves you. He will never turn his heart against you, ever. And then he looks at us as broken people and he goes, that's the secret to marriage, is how I love you. I just love each other the same way, the same way, the same way. I wanna pray for us before the band comes.